if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few good reasons. First of all, it's free, so you really have nothing to lose. They have so many tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you can just be lying in your bed and record your podcast and they will also distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many, many more platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Why should you have to try and convince someone? Why should you have to try and make somebody else feel better? It's not really your responsibility. When I think about yesterday My, oh my My, oh my A kiss and so I did Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy you're back. I'm Karima Alba. I am the host. I am so excited for this week's episode. I talked to Anushka Marseille. She is a mental health expert specialized in human personality and abuse. She knows the mind and body system as no other. And in this episode, she discusses how we can recognize a narcissist and also what to do when you're dealing with a narcissist. It's such a complex topic. She also talks about trauma, emotional abuse, anxiety, depression, and she also gives us some new insights in how our mind works when dealing with trauma, for instance. She also answered my lifelong question, something that I've been asking myself for as long as I can remember, is can we overcome anxiety? I think that many people struggle with anxiety and I think that it's very difficult to know what's true and what isn't because there's so much misinformation online as we also discussed in this episode. I was really blown away by her knowledge, by her wisdom and she really made me think. I had such a great time talking to her. She's such an intelligent woman. So I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. Um, if you want to learn more about Anushka and her work as an expert, please go visit her website, which is called balancepsychologies.com or her Instagram page, also with the same name. You can also find her on YouTube, where she goes more in depth about all of these topics. She serves us with such great content. I really do recommend her YouTube channel. It's a perfect learning school if you have any questions and you just want to know the answer, because as I said, there is so much misinformation online. So thank you so much for listening. I am very excited that you are back. And if you're new, welcome to the podcast. Please don't forget to review the episode episode and if you like any of these conversations feel free to share on social media because that really does help us a lot so thank you again for listening and hopefully see you next week Thank you so much for joining this podcast. I'm so excited. I'm very, very honored to, to have you on because, I mean, I really want, I have so many questions for you because, no. <laughs> because you know, there's so much misinformation online and mm -hmm. it really helps. And it's, it's you know, almost um, like a luxury to talk to an expert who can answer questions that are unanswered. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, before, before we start, um, maybe it's interesting for you to, for the people who don't know you, who don't know you personally or your work, mm -hmm. kind of just kind of like a background story of who you are and how you came to be a mental health coach. 
Okay, so I, I have been studying um, my doctorate in psychology for the last, goodness knows how long, probably five years. Mm. And I'm literally right at the end of qualifying as a doctor. Mm. Um, so this has just been a really long, long journey. But I, I started this journey around 10 years ago. Um, I've always been interested in mental health and science, um, social sciences, but I never, I, when I was at school, I didn't follow, um, you know, that, that kind of traditional line of education um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Actually, I really loved art. I loved painting. I really loved um, the theatre. So I really just didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was it was just after um, like I had this kind of awakening, so to speak. And I thought, you know what, I really am going to do something that or I really want to do something that I've always wanted to do. And that's always been um, in terms of therapy, you know, science based. Mm. So I just thought this is this is it. This is this is exactly what I what I want to be so I've always wanted to be a psychologist uh, you have I, found your purpose I found my purpose I also wanted to be a um, pop star international famous pop star the thing is I can't, I can't sing I can dance I can do all of those things but I just can't sing so that wasn't going to work so this was really my calling being a psychologist um, and I always, I started off like a lot of my experience in mental health, I worked, um, I was really lucky and really fortunate enough, I worked in um, low secure mental health hospitals, so I worked a lot with schizophrenia, um, I was very interested in that, schizophrenia and personality disorders, so those mm -hmm. are the kind of disorders that I um, had a lot of experience of working with these types of individuals and I realized um, how tough it is and I really understand the cyclical nature of the mental um, discomfort or their mental illness and then of course um, I, I, I then went on to working with anxiety depression eating disorders that was another one that was really interesting and mm -hmm. I had, well, it, when I came into um, narcissism and the kind of um, the cluster B personality disorders, I realized how much of this type, these types of people, these personality presentations there are around us. We don't really know unless we are met with these situations and these oddities and the way that they behave, the way that they speak, the way that they um, interact with, mm -hmm. with, with one another. So um, with us rather. So I, I had a personal experience. I was in a relationship with someone, um, although they were undiagnosed, um, their behaviors were very odd and I was caught in a cycle of trying to make this person happy trying to make everything okay because I thought oh this poor man you know he's got a lot of anxiety he's got lots of all of this and I know what anxiety is like because I, I kind of feel it myself I kind of get I get that you know and I understand what depression is and I'm you know because I'm I'm a you know because I'm, I'm a trainee psychologist I'm going to help I'm going to help this person. It's going to be fine. Um, but it was fruitless. And um, as I got drawn into this kind of dark side of mental health, I um, when when the curtain or when the veil finally lifted, it was very refreshing, although hurtful, but very refreshing. And that's how I got into this work. You know, um, at the time when I was um, when I was looking for help, at, um, this was we're talking five, six, four or five years ago now. There was nothing. There wasn't no. There wasn't much. Not that there wasn't nothing. There wasn't much. There was probably one or I did watch YouTube and I watched probably like. A couple of videos and I thought oh my goodness there's nothing out there mm -hmm. I need to get out I, I you know I, I I study mental health I know it I've been through it like I can help someone I can just educate and obviously now as time has gone on you know three or four years later down the line a lot of people have experienced it and there is a lot of information out there which is amazing so that's how I got into the work that I do Amazing. I It's so inspiring, your your story about how you got into it, because um, we always kind of start somewhere. And um, like you with your experience with it, like your ex-partner now, yeah. like there is always a moment where we decide that 
or maybe better phrase that kind of defines a moment in our lives. Um, and I also want to get into toxic relationships because you also uh, have a lot of knowledge about that. So what do you do? What does a person do if you are in a relationship with someone who is toxic or who is a narcissist, but you don't know at first, but then after, you know, a while, you kind of see all these traits. Um, like, how do you get out of it? And is it possible to even kind of like break free out of a, of a toxic relationship? And I mean, I'm not only talking about romantically, but also mm -hmm. friendships or maybe even family. I mean, there's so many parents who are very, very toxic towards their, their kids. So how, like, how does a person break free from that? And is it even possible? Because I know it's not easy. I mean, I think that's no. a given. So yeah. do you have like any um, advice or anything that can help people who may, you know, find themselves in a situation like that? Yes, of course. I think I think the first port of call is acceptance, to accept that this person cannot change and mm. doesn't have the awareness or the ability to change. So there's no point trying to tell them about themselves uh, because that will not work. I think what the best thing to do is to accept the situation, accept the person where they are, um, whether that's in a romantic sense, whether that's your friend or, you know, that's your family member, that person is that person and we have to meet them where they are. And I'm not saying that you accept their behaviors. I, I'm saying you accept that that person is like that and this is the situation. Yes. Um, it is not your job to heal or to change because it's it like like with my experience, it's going to be fruitless. It's not going to get it's you. It's going to drain you. Like it's impossible you know, to change yes, someone who doesn't yes, want to change. <laughs> no, because they don't have that awareness. They, yeah. don't, they don't look inwards. Mm -hmm. It's everybody else's fault. So yeah. it's external. It's external blame. And the next one, what I would say is boundaries. Okay, so now you know that this person is toxic. They don't make you feel good. They're always complaining um, about you, about how, how you make them feel. Um, I think it's important not to internalize that because let's face it, everyone has an opinion and everyone's entitled to their opinion. So that's that's their opinion. Okay, that, that's fine. Again, don't try and change it, but understand that that isn't you. And um, maybe, they're, maybe what's going on is, um, maybe it's their way of looking. It's maybe it's their kind of tainted way of looking at you because they're trying to get some sort of narcissistic um, supply from you. And remember, they always like it when you don't feel good or when you're, mm -hmm. or when you're um, not, when you're um, giving them attention and it's negative, they love that. So boundaries and how do you instill boundaries? Well, the thing is you need to know where your boundaries lay, what, what is acceptable for you mm -hmm. and what's not. It is, it, it is what it, it says it is, boundaries. Where, where is it? Where's your line? And how, how much is it when somebody crosses it? Do you know what that looks like? And I think that's the most important thing is knowing where your boundaries are and being able to keep um, to them. Mm -hmm. um, and just one other thing I'm going to say is in a toxic relationship, there's never a happy ever after. There's never a happy ending. It is going to end at some point. Even though we want to believe that, because if you love sure. someone, we want them to change or to be good to us. And I think that we yeah. start believing in this fairy tale of, you know, like it's going to be okay. But like, as you said, acceptance, I, I mean, I've done a lot of soul searching when it comes to that. And I also came to the, to the point of acceptance is so important. Like accept that that person is toxic or they are who they are. Yeah, and, and it's very, like you said, it's very tough to try and change someone and it's not mm. your job to try and heal that person. No, it's, 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 it's not even mine. It's mm -hmm. not even mine because if you don't want to, how can you convince someone that there's something wrong with them when they don't want it? Yeah, no, that's true. And I am wondering, is being emotionally abused by someone, does that go hand in hand with a narcissist or does that differ in a way? 
Oh, that's a really good question. Yes, it does go hand in hand with a narcissist, but not, not just a narcissist. You can be emotionally abused by somebody who is depressed, for example. Mm, okay. Um, these, what I'm talking about, these, beha- these are behavior, behavioral traits that determine emotional abuse. So somebody who doesn't want to recognize or doesn't want to listen to your point of view and you're constantly having to, um, what's the word? You're constantly having to justify yourself to that mm-hmm. person. That's, that's abusive, isn't it? That's, that's very abusive because you shouldn't have to do that. Or somebody that doesn't want to, um, somebody that doesn't want to hear what you're saying mm-hmm. is very difficult to... So, so if I'm understanding this correctly, so someone who is, um, is unhappy, like there is more of a chance for those kind of people to emotionally abuse you or, or can you also be abused by someone who, who isn't depressed, who isn't, um, in a bad place? You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I do. Yes, that's yes, exactly. Exactly that. That's what I was saying. Even though somebody doesn't have like a, a, a mental, um, a, a mental health diagnosis mm-hmm. or it's, 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 it's about how that person makes you feel. Mm-hmm. If somebody is secure and if somebody is happy within themselves, then they're not going to want to um, get any kind of um, justification mm-hmm. or confirmation from you. Um, they are going to be able to interact with you. They're going to be able to relate to you in a very um, healthy way. But when somebody cannot, um, then, it does, then, it, then it does become emotionally abusive. Absolutely, because there's always one person that tries to help the other or wants the other person to see their point of view. And then that becomes quite destructive as well. And I am wondering, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's okay. I was was just going to say, and why should you have to do that? Why should you have to try and convince someone? Why should you have to try and make somebody else feel better? It's not really your responsibility. But I I also think that people who want to help other people are I think insecure in themselves because they want that validation and they they are yearning for love and for affection and you you do anything for anyone just to get that affection even if it's not organic you know even if it's not real um and like it's it's such a complex situation like how does one become this way you know what I mean like how and maybe that also kind of introduces my next question is, is a narcissist, can you be born as a narcissist or do you become a narcissist in life? Or is that something that maybe uh, stems from your grandparents or family or, or is it very like individually um, based? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm going to, uh, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer it quite generally, and then I'm going to make it more specific to narcissism. Mm-hmm. So when, when somebody is diagnosed with a mental health disorder, what happens is, is predominantly or, or typically um, a mental, a mental illness or a mental disorder is something that is learned. It's a behavior that is learned. You are not necessarily born with it. Things like learning disabilities, autism, um, Asperger's, and those kind of of, um, clusters of diagnosis, that is a little bit different because that does does usually present itself as genetic. Um, But things like ADHD, depression, anxiety, these are all learnt behaviors. So you would have learnt how to deal with something because you've seen it from like a primary caregiver um, somebody like your parents or maybe an auntie or an uncle usually that would have that would happen in childhood so when we look at that in terms of narcissism narcissism is um is very much about a dysfunctional ego it's very much about attachment disorder mm-hmm. um and it's about the child not being able to attach to their parents or bond with their parents in a very healthy way or in a healthy way at all ultimately the parent will reject the child and the child then has to do whatever they can to get their parents to notice them yeah. a narcissistic child or, or the, 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 the child that has been rejected by their parents, they will suffer a psychological and emotional breakdown, although the child doesn't know that they're going through that. 
So it's in an attempt to be reborn and become somebody different. So therefore, there's the illusion, there's the grandiosity, there's the, there's the ego that has become strengthened. Mm -hmm. These are subconscious processes. These are psychoanalytical um, processes. So the child won't know this. Um, so their psyche about themselves changes. Um, and so that's how they become a narcissist. It's, a, it's ultimately that they can't bond um, mm. to another person in a healthy way. Um, their ego is very dysfunctional. Um, and so this is why they pretend very much to be somebody else, because it means that they are getting the attention that they need, or they're getting the validation that they need. Does that make sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense. And I was just thinking um, every single day, sadly, but like yeah. someone like Donald Trump, is he a narcissist? Because I mean, people have been saying that for such a long time, but you as an expert, do you diagnose Trump based on how he has behaved and is behaving as a narcissist? Or is that something else that he is dealing with? Do you know, he's... Um... He's a very prominent figure, okay? Mm -hmm. All eyes are on him. Mm -hmm. And I think that what he does is he plays a role. I think he is a role, he plays a role. And I feel that he has been put in that position to get certain reactions from the public. I don't know whether that's him per se, but the, the role that he plays is quite narcissistic. It's very mm -hmm. grandiose. Um, I don't, I, I can't really diagnose him based on, on what I see of him or what I hear and what I read about him. Is that, I don't know if that really is the real him or is that just, he's yeah. a showman, isn't he? Like politicians are very much showmen. Indeed, and, like you don't know, like it's very, just, yeah, it's not. You just, yeah, you just, exactly. You just, you just don't know who the real him is, but maybe the character that he that he has to play has to be like that because he has to get certain results. And he has to survive. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he is in the news every single day. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about Trump because, you know, everyone knows him. So maybe when we're talking about narcissism, people can identify that with him if, you know, you would say that he is. Sure, sure. Um, because I think it's interesting because like, what are like the first signs or flags um, of a narcissist? I mean, hypothetically, I am going on a date or I'm meeting this new friend or anyone new coming into my life. How do I recognize a narcissist? People always show their best selves, you know, the first time you meet and, and then it kind of crumbles and then you see the real person. But can we prevent going into a relationship with someone or a friendship maybe um, by recognizing any signs that can you know prevent yes. us from from going on with that yeah sure that's and that's a really really good question um to to really be honest with you i mean if you look at someone you're not going to know whether they're not a, a narcissist or not mm -hmm. the okay. disorder lays in the the way that they relate and that's the whole as that's the whole kind of aspects of this disorder is the way that they relate, the way that they attach, the way that they bond mm. uh, with you. So um, it really it really does depend on um, a few factors. The first one would be that they would like to, um, they like all the things that you do, for example. They try, mm -hmm. they go over and beyond to be friends, to attach themselves onto you because ultimately what their goal is is so that you like them so that you begin to like them and accept them and bring them in you know allow them into your life um, and that takes time when you get to know somebody whether that's in a romantic sense or whether that's in a friendship sense it's a little bit different with family so we're not talking about family but I'm talking about, you know, in a romantic sense but, and in friendships, it takes time to be able to let somebody in because you've got to, you've got to figure them out. You've got to, you've got to learn how to trust them with information or allowing them um, near you. So a narcissistic or a toxic person will try to kind of fast track that and they would, re they, they're going to be, they're, they're going to sound amazing on paper. They, they may like all the same things that you do. Maybe they're interested in all the same things that you do. And once they are there, they then, they then, um, they're, they're just, 
the bestest friends that you ever had or the soulmate mm. that, you know, that you think, oh my God, this is just amazing. You know, what, last week we were meeting up and then this week we're, you know, we're moving in together. This is just amazing. Mm. Um, you know, it just, That's things progress. I never thought of it that way. That's very interesting and very, yeah, very interesting to yeah, know. Things progress really quickly. Mm. And um, maybe like, I'm going to turn around the question. Um, how do we know, like, let's say I am a narcissist. How do I recognize that about myself? Because, you know, we always think other people are toxic towards us. But how do we know that we are toxic towards people? How do I know that I am emotionally abusing someone? Because we mostly, like, we are never the devil in our story. You know what I mean? Like, we're always sure. the victim yes. and all of that. And, I, like, I think it's so interesting to know because I think awareness and um, reflection, like self being self-reflecting is so crucial. Yeah. Um, and I'm just very interested in knowing if I am a like a toxic person, how do I know? Or how do I kind of come to the point of, of realization of that? The fact that you're asking me that question mm -hmm. shows that you are aware, that you're self-aware about yourself. A narcissistic individual wouldn't ask that. They wouldn't. Okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah, because they don't have, it's called an internal locus of control, which means an internal um, awareness of self. Um, they're aware of everybody else around them and how how awful they make them feel and so that's why they react because that person made me do it basically that's what they're saying so they are always the victim in their story correct correct okay. correct they made me do it because they were so horrible mm -hmm. but somebody so like for example you asking that question mm -hmm. how do I know the thing is a narcissist doesn't think that a narcissist won't ask those questions that won't even come into their kind of orbits to even think that it's always somebody else interesting because um i saw a video of yours where you explained that a narcissist will never apologize and i thought that was so interesting because like just thinking about like all the traits and the behaviors of someone like that and i am thinking of people that i know in my life who are like that, people, you know, who are close to me. And it's so hard to accept that maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe that they are a narcissist. And, and that kind of explains why things have happened the way they happened. And you know what I mean? Like there is always like a tale. <laughs> yes, yes. It's hard though, because, you know, there's, when you talk, when you talk about narcissist, we're talking about them in the pathological sense. So mm -hmm. this person has a personality disorder and that's a severe mental health disorder. It is really dilapidating to the person to have a personality disorder. Mm. So that's the pathological side, okay? Then if we go to the other side of the scale, we're talking about traits of mm -hmm. narcissism. So behavioral traits of, of a narcissist. Ultimately, what joins these, these two on the spectrum is the dysfunctional ego. It's the ego that is dysfunctional. It's the ego that wants to survive and I'm better than you. And it, I've got to do this first because I'm the best, I'm this. That's what the ego does. And so when it's dysfunctional, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, they listen to that. They listen to, to that internal voice. You know, like for example, in schizophrenia, people hear, hear voices. Ultimately, that's how they describe it. Mm -hmm. But what they're listening to, the voices, is their ego, is their internal voice. Really? Yes. But they describe it as auditory hallucination. Um, with personality disorder, mm -hmm. they hear the same thing, but they don't hear it as external. They hear it as internal. And if you think about it, we also have that. You know, like when, when, when for example... I don't know, we're crossing the road and the internal voice says, oh, press the button so that, so that the, it, can change the it can change the traffic lights. So you do. Um, those, those are, that, that's, you know, that's, your, that's your survival instinct kicking in, right? Mm -hmm. However, where it differs, where it becomes more pathological 
is where that child, do you remember how we talked about how the child is rejected and they suffer that trauma and they suffer that emotional abuse? That's where it becomes pathological because they become quite, um, it can, can become quite angry or aggressive, um, their survival uh, mechanism. So that's why it's dysfunctional. That's why they never apologize. Why should I apologize to somebody else? Mm -hmm. They're wrong. I'm the victim. It's them. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what you're saying um, is that a narcissist cannot heal from being a narcissist. Like you can't try and step out of that. So like once you learn to become one, you can't get out of it. Or am I misunderstanding that? No, no, you are absolutely right. You can't heal from being a narcissist. That's crazy. No matter how much therapy you have, um, there's no medication for it. Wow. But like that, that like also leads to trauma, I guess, because it, like if you learn to become a narcissist that, as you said before yeah. in our conversation, yes. um, there is always like a defining point in your life that kind of leads you one way or another. Yeah. Um, and that brings me to trauma because I'm also very, very interested in trauma because I mean, we all have our, our shares of, you know, trauma as, as children and all of that. Can people have traumatic experiences and not knowing that they were traumatic? You know what I mean? Like if you, for instance, have been through abuse as a child, but you don't recognize that as abuse and you go on as an adult and you are traumatized by that and maybe that affects your your relationships or your professional life or whatever it is but you don't recognize it as a trauma is that possible or do we always acknowledge trauma no no um it only is traumatic when you um understand it as being traumatic or not normal so say for example a child who has been very, very sadly, they have been um, sexually abused by mm -hmm. say, their parent. The child possibly won't recognize that that is wrong. Mm -hmm. They will feel that it's wrong, mm -hmm. but they, they won't necessarily know because they're a child. And as they, as they um, grow up, as they grow up and they go into adolescence, um, they then realize that it, maybe it's not right to, um, experience what they have done and so there the child or the adolescence then begins to understand that what I've experienced was not normal and maybe those feelings or those emotions that I was feeling of dread or or upset or or taking advantage of maybe there there was some truth in that mm. so then you do so so then you would do some inquiry wouldn't you you talk about it you do some research amongst people mm. and then possibly that's how you would learn that that what you have gone through is mm -hmm. not a normal experience and it is and your feelings of of hurt and pain are very valid so mm -hmm. therefore that's how you kind of discover that that is a trauma and then that's when the processing um happens that's when the triggers mm -hmm. come up and can we all overcome trauma or are there um events that cannot be healed from, um, such as maybe sexual abuse or emotionally abused by your parent or anything. Because, you know, you can go to therapy and you can talk about it and you can do all of the steps, but are there situations where people cannot heal from their trauma or is everything figureoutable? You know, can, can everyone heal from any kind of trauma? That all really depends mm. on the person and resilience. Mm. Really yeah, that's an important one. Yeah, mm. if they're resilient. Yes, there, what I'm going to say is, yes, there's possibility to move forward from trauma, mm. but it really depends on the person. It depends how deep-rooted and how long this trauma had gone on for. Mm. Um, it also depends on what your childhood experience is. Well, like if we're talking about childhood experience, then there is no kind of foundation there to work with. So it's, it, they're going to be more deep rooted and some people sadly never really recover from um, their trauma. 
And if we're talking about childhood sexual abuse, mm -hmm. there's something about that. There's something about that abuse that really damages a child. It really damages that child then going into adulthood. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the chances of that human being um, getting over childhood sexual abuse it's very it's it's minimal i'm not saying that it's not possible mm -hmm. but it's it's um it's it's very tough for that person to do that yeah i guess i mean it's like everyone is different as you said and also um like not like people's mindset is also very um important in if you want to heal from something and if you are not open to it, I think that it makes it really hard to heal from anything. Um, what advice do you have for people who, who are struggling with something? It can be abuse, it can be anything, like, because like the first step that you have to take, such as um, going to a psychologist mm. to get help, that is the hardest part, I believe, um, because you are throwing yourself into the unknown and you don't know if that person is going to care. You don't know if it's going to help. Um, and I know a lot of people like that. I mean, I am like that because I, like, I have always find it super hard to go to a therapist or to a psychologist because there's so many of them out there and not everyone is compatible with yes. you. And also, but like, what advice do you have as a psychologist who has, you know, talked to so many people um, to kind of not push people, but kind of give them some sort of hope that taking the first step is, is really crucial into, you know, the process of healing. Um, so I am curious to what you have to say about that. <laughs> sure, sure. So I think the first thing that you really have to recognize is that it's not going to be easy work trying to get through trauma or trying to get past trauma. There is going to be a lot of, you know, trying to understand it, where it's come from, you know, you have to be ready for this type of work. And it's okay if you're not, it's okay if you're, if you're not ready to do that, if you're not ready to go deeper and understand what has happened. There is every possibility that you will heal from this. Um, and to be honest with you, I think every single person, every single person who has gone through trauma has the um, answers already inside of them. What you're looking for is somebody to be able to hold your hand and guide you through this labyrinth of, of darkness that you're trying to, you know, that you're trying to understand what, why, and how, and, 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 that's what really a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor should be. They should never direct you or tell you because trauma is complex and it's about meeting that person where they are and where they, and how they understand where they are. Um, this, you know, for example, if I, when I work with my clients, it's about time, it's about them um, exploring. So ultimately, this is a process of holding somebody's hand and and walking through this kind of um, labyrinth of trying to understand what has happened, this all these experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you have to look at you, you have to look at who you're going to be trusting with this information, do your background research. Um, how long have they worked in trauma? Who, you know, where are they working now? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, when you're looking at um, the resume of, of your therapist or, or the psychologist, you, you've got to understand who this person is and, and who you're going to trust with this most intimate information. And Another thing that really you need to, you, you have to look at is, is, do you think that you will be compatible with them? Ask them if they could do like a free session, you know, a free amount of time that you could talk with them so that you just get an idea. Ultimately, you've got to trust your gut because in trauma, that's what it does. It separates you from, from, your, from yourself. So you're, there's, it kind of feels like there's two parts to you. And for example, in my, in my work, I try to bring the person back home to themselves so to try and um, dissolve the dissociation so a lot of my work is about trusting yourself trusting your body trusting mm -hmm. your thoughts because you know what you are right 
you are right. You know this better than me. Can we overcome anxiety or is that something that we just have to learn to live with? Oh, the truth is, um, <laughs> it's something that we have to learn to live with. No, it's, I, I, I don't, I personally don't think it's possible to overcome anxiety. However, we mm -hmm. can manage it. You can learn to manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, I suffer from anxiety and I'm, I've, I've been very open with it, you know, over mm -hmm. on my social media. I, I cause I'm just, I'm, I'm honest. It's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and preach that. No, I don't, you know, I know everything and I don't experience this. I, I do suffer from anxiety. And even though I'll be honest, I also have read so much. I know the theory, I know why it happens. I know what methods you have to apply mm -hmm. to help you. But I still can't stop it from coming up. It's stronger than what we can control. I guess that's why it's called anxiety. Because you, yeah. can't, you can't grasp it. Like you can't control it. Um, but are there any exercises? Because like you read that meditation helps with anxiety. And I started meditating a couple of months ago. And, but I also feel like the more I meditate, the more I am in my head. And yeah. then I get back to being anxious. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if that's just me or it's just a general thing. But do you have any advice for people who are suffering? Because I think a lot of people are. Like there is no other way than the world that we are living in right now. It's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, what can people do to minimize anxiety or to learn how to live with it, as you, as you said. Oh, anxiety is uncomfortable. It yeah. is when you're, when you're in the throes of it, it is uncomfortable mm -hmm. and it very um, quickly escalates from mm -hmm. one, you know, cause it's, if you're someone that is, that experienced high anxiety or more predisposed to experience um, a, high, a higher level of anxiety, then you're going to literally experience panic attacks. So from some, so for example, I don't, I have had panic attacks before in the past, but I, when I, when I'm in the throes of my anxiety, I won't have a panic attack because I don't suffer from really high anxiety. I've learned how to manage it. Mm. So the way that I've done that is, um, do you know what? It's just one word, compassion, actually. Mm. To be compassionate to yourself. So for example, um, I'll give you um, something that's coming up for me now and how I've managed it. So I'm moving house, okay? And the house that I'm in, I've sold it but I don't have another house to go to. So I have literally one month from today, oh, 17th of October to move. And I'm like, I'm actually going to be homeless. <laughs> so for the past two weeks, I have been waking up really early. Um, sometimes it can be, you know, 10 to two. Sometimes it's four o'clock. And it's the same thing that keeps going around and around in my mind. Like, Anushka, uh, where are you going to live? Mm -hmm. And I try and be compassionate to myself. I try to parent myself and say, look, because it's, the, it's, it's my ego, it, the, the, the little girl inside of me, the little Anushka mm -hmm. uh, that's saying, ah, oh my God, like, I don't know, you know, this is not safe. I don't feel safe. Like, I don't know what the next thing is. And I always reassure myself and say, something will come up. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be homeless. And if I don't find anything within this month, then, you know, we'll just go to my parents or Airbnb it for the time being and we'll be able to move in. You're not going to be homeless. It is, you're going to be fine. And you've always dealt with these situations. You're going to be fine. So that settles me. Mm -hmm. And then until the thought comes up again. And so I say the same thing. So it's about repetition. Mm -hmm. It's about being compassionate. And it's like, for example, the conversation that we're having now, you know, it, it's just about, logically exploring mm -hmm. what your options are rather than really becoming too emotionally um, tongue-tied so to speak because when you do that's what I mean anxiety escalates one to the next to the next and it's not it's it doesn't come from a rational place mm 
Mm-hmm. It's about um, being able to access that wisdom, that that listening to your inner self, listening to your gut. So it's interesting that you were saying about meditation. Meditation is a good practice to get into daily because it grounds you, but it also anchors you in the moment. Mm-hmm. This type of practice is good to practice when you're not experiencing anxiety. So when you do experience anxiety, you know how to access that state or you know how to access that information. Mm. That's what I mean by managing it. How I manage my anxiety, compassion, and being able to logically explain to myself, okay, Mm -hmm. just calm down. You're going to be fine. But like you have to learn to to manage your... You have to learn. Because anxiety is all in our head, right? It's it's yeah. all thoughts, things that didn't happen, may not happen, but we think it's going to happen. And that kind of provokes <laughs> our anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Does, does anxiety go hand in hand with depression? Because that is always being used um, in the same breath. Depression and anxiety, it's as if it's not a separate thing, I feel like. Um, so anxiety, yes. So depression is more of a mood disorder. So the anxiety and depression, yes, they do go hand in hand. They are best friends to helping you feel worse than you actually do. But so anxiety gets you into the depressed state and then the depression maintains your low mood. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, it's quite hard to kind of climb back out of that. If that, does that make sense? So it's like Mm -hmm. the anxiety will take you to the edge of the cliff mm-hmm. whereas the depression will push you over and you'll experience what it's like to be at the bottom of the cliff or the bottom of a cave for example the dark and and what comes first depression or anxiety if like if those two things go hand in hand if someone is has only experienced anxiety and panic attacks but doesn't necessarily think of themselves as depressed mm. How do we know that we are depressed? You know what I mean? Like if you maybe can manage your depression better than you can manage your anxiety, uh, is there a way to kind of recognize that or? Yes. Um, So for example, with depression, um, you feel very lethargic. You feel very sleepy. It's something that exists, you know, right behind your eyes and you feel tired. Um, You feel you've got, you've, you've got no energy to want to do anything because you just feel like what's the point um so that's 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 how you maintain that low mood because you just feel like there is no point that you're not good enough and why would you want to do there's a heaviness to depression whereas anxiety is on the is on the other side of the scale it's very frantic snappy Mm -hmm. uh burns a lot of energy you feel quite you feel almost out of control so to speak mm. um so and then your heart's racing as well and you, you know that your your thoughts are racing and and then there's panic sets in so the two are the two are quite different however um what comes first it really depends on you as a person, Mm -hmm. what you tend to go to. Do you tend to be horrible to yourself and put yourself down? So then you become, you know, you're you're in a low mood Mm -hmm. or do you jump to anxiety that tells you that you're no good? What are you going to do? Like, oh my God, panic. It really depends on what your predisposition is to go to. Interesting. Because, um, I read, and I don't know if, if this is wrong or not, but um, that people can be born with depression. For instance, if your father or anyone in your family has been diagnosed with um, depression, that your chances of becoming a depressed person are larger than someone who uh, is at the other side of that. Um, so for instance, someone who was born with a depression, it's not that it's because of a traumatic experience or anything like that. Um, but they don't necessarily um, suffer from any sort of an anxiety. They're just plain depressed. Can that person later in life maybe um, develop uh, an anxiety disorder or um, because if you say that like that goes hand in hand, 
Yeah. Can anxiety come way later in life after you've suffered from a depression for a long time? Um, because it's really hard to, to know, of course, because everyone is, is different. So I know that I'm asking you like a very impossible question, but it's not out of curiosity. Not at all. You know, you know um, anything is possible. It's, it's mm. all possible. Our, um, our, our psyche is actually quite fragile. And mm. we, we don't realize this. And even though we think that we can get through this, even though we think that, yeah, it will be fine. Our, our psyche is fragile. So we do need to show it compassion. But you are absolutely right. You can develop anxiety mm-hmm. later on in life. Yes, there's, you know, there's, there isn't a stop. Yeah. You know, there isn't a stop button to when you're like too old to, to get depression or too old to get anxiety. I mean, look at, for example, dementia. Dementia is an older person's mental health um, uh, disorder. Mm-hmm. So how is it that you have, you know, you're, you, you get that later on in life when you know all of your life before that you were, you were okay, you were fine. So there is no age, there's no age mm-hmm. um, definition or, or defining age that you stop getting mental health disorders. They can come at any time. Do you believe in medication or do you think that the smartest thing that we can do is try to control or, or um, overcome any mental il- uh, illnesses by meditation or by doing it organically or do you think that um, medication can be very helpful do you know um i used to think that medication was the worst thing but i changed my view on that Mm -hmm. i feel that medication can help a person to stabilize them to Mm -hmm. help them to get into that place of of getting help or, or of healing um medication can be very helpful but it's not a long-term solution and it's also not for everyone because there's so many side effects that that are really really scary when you look at yes absolutely it isn't for everybody and i feel that the way that medication is given out or prescribed that is abused i think Mm -hmm. that i think that the practitioner not all i think most practitioners they don't look at the circumstances and they don't i think I don't think therapy is so easily um, prescribed as medication. But if you think about it, to produce a, I don't know, say an antidepressant tablet like Cetraline or Citalopram, I would probably say, um, I wouldn't probably be so far wrong to say that it costs pennies to manufacture. But to send somebody into long-term therapy or you know, six to 12 sessions of therapy, that's a little bit more expensive. So the way that these pharma companies look at it or uh, doctors look at it is, well, here's the pill, take that tablet. I've done my job, I've helped you, take the tablet, off you go. So that kind of leaves the person, you know, so what's happened is it's kind of like um, you have a cut and I give you a plaster, you just, you put the plaster on it, but I don't clean out the infection um, or if there is to, to clean it. So there isn't an infection. If it, I don't look whether it needs stitches or not, I just put a plaster over it. And if I put a plaster over it, I don't see underneath that it's bleeding, that it's maybe infected, that it's got little stones and whatever in it. I don't see that because I've got plaster on it. So it's fine. And that's how I feel <clears throat> medication works. It's so sad that um, anything related to mental health, if you want to seek help, it's so expensive and it's everywhere you go in the world. It's it, like it's not even only in the US where they have like a terrible system, <laughs> uh, healthcare system. Um, it's everywhere in the world. So, and I think that because it's so expensive that most people don't even bother seeking help. Mm-hmm. And then you keep kind of, you know, re- repeating the same cycles, you know, and, and it's, um, it's exhausting to, to, to kind yes. of think about how, how, and excuse my language, how fucked up yeah. <laughs> the whole pharma <laughs> industry is because yeah. they, they only give us pills and they, they treat us like robots, you know, like just take a pill and you're going to be fixed. Like it's, it's crazy. I agree with you. Um, 
you know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm just going to add to that. You know, I remember when I worked in this low secure mental health hospital and I worked with people with schizophrenia and um, people with schizophrenia that when, when they're not medicated, they tend to be very explosive with their emotions and they can become very, they can become very angry, very argumentative, or they can cry or they become very sad and they cry or they become very loving. So their emotions are accentuated um, because of their, because of the, because of their condition. So most people who have schizophrenia, they're on antipsychotic medication, which is very, very strong. And when you work in a hospital like that, you know, um, you can, you, when, you see, when you see somebody who, who is heavily medicated on antidepressants, that person moves different, that person, you know, their body language is completely different and they are zombified. It's exactly like that. Um, even when they talk, um, they're, very, they're people who are very, very sedated. Mm. And you are absolutely right. This medication has sedated that person. You know, it's, it's kind of like a tranquilizer, so to speak. And that's what that person is on day in, day out. And it's in their system, but there's no mediation happening. And it, I'm sure that's not just in the UK. I'm sure that's, you know, around the world. And it does, it does um, break my heart. Um, and yeah, it's, it is very sad, but, but um, what, what can, what can, you know, like a few people do, like someone mm-hmm. like me, I, I can see it. I'm powerless. Because the yeah. pharma company rules no, that. That's true. And, and, and I also feel like my heart breaks for all the young people because I feel like um, depression is increasing. It is. Anxiety and mental health problems. Crazy. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I get really angry. No, no, don't. No, no, no. And this is good. This is good. This is your thoughts. This is, you know, how you feel about it. But you know what I'm going to say to you is that you have the power and you have the answers already inside of you and my work a lot of it is in to empower the individual to know that you've already got that information or you've got the power to get through this so for example you know god forbid one day your children you know do feel depressed or they do feel low in mood you know what because you've gone through it you know how to get through that you know how to help them they need help they need motivation they need someone to say do you know what darling it's going to be fine you're going to get through it because you're going to do this this and this i'm going to help you i can do this you'll do that and we're going to together we're going to do this we're going to smash this Mm -hmm. so it's just about giving that person hope it's about motivating them and teaching them resilience yeah. Okay. Knowing that you as a parent have got, has got their back, no matter what you accept them and, and, and you love them no matter what. And that is unconditional love. And I, and I honestly, I tell you that it doesn't matter. And I always say this to all my friends who have children. Um, and I'm a mother myself. It doesn't matter if, if my daughter doesn't do, doesn't, hasn't got the best grades. And I say this to all my friends, it doesn't matter if your kids don't have the best grades and they don't go to the best school, make sure that your child knows that you love them unconditionally. Okay. Make sure that they have confidence in themselves to be who they want to be. Basically, ultimately it's about being happy and they, they will have the strength to, to, to combat anything Mm -hmm. in life. And I feel it's love. It's the base. It is the base. It's the most strongest healing mm-hmm. uh, factor out it is it's love and you know and even like for, so for example if you look at like um my work for example or, or therapist or psychology work ultimately what i'm providing for that person is um, a safe secure space mm-hmm. but also somewhere where they can be themselves where they can express without feeling judged without without thinking that they're going to offend someone or it's not right so ultimately, I'm giving them that unconditional therapeutic love, so to speak. That's amazing. It's, yeah, it's crucial to feel safe. Yeah. That's you're talking to. So, so yeah. I mean, I couldn't talk to you for such a long time. <laughs> I, I am ashamed of taking more of your time. Um, I mean, I'm very honored that you are on the podcast and that you've shared so much with us. Um, but at the end of every conversation, I do this um, thing called the roundup questions. So the first question um, that I love asking everyone is, what do you love or like the most about yourself? Oh, that's such a good question. And I... <laughs> okay, so um, I'm somebody who 
I'm, I'm quite a compassionate person and mm. I, I guess that I, I give everybody time. I give people time, my time, or mm. I give somebody um, the gift of time, I, I guess. And so I love, I love, I love hearing about things that my friends or my family are getting up to. I, I love to, um, yeah, just participate in somebody's life. I guess, I just, I guess I like to be included. I let, I guess I like to be, I like, um, that I've got that time for that person to, mm-hmm. to explore with them what they're going through or what mm-hmm. they're thinking. I don't, I, I don't think that everybody does um, have the gift of time, but I just, you know, I, I, I make time. I have to, otherwise I could really get really engrossed in my work mm-hmm. and <laughs> be a hermit and not go anywhere. But I, but that's, that doesn't, that doesn't work for me either. Um, but that's why I, I have my dog and yeah, he, he can, we sing a lot actually. Oh, dogs give the best hugs. <laughs> dogs are like, oh, yes, they do. They do. Um, if you could go back in time and give your teenage self any advice, what would it be? Oh, I wish I could actually really do that. <laughs> <laughs> that would you know be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I had a rotten teenager, adolescence. Um, Yeah, mine was tough. Um, Do you know what I would say to myself? I would say, you know what? You are good enough. That's what I would say, is that Mm -hmm. you, the way that you are, you're good enough. That's what I would say. But would you believe that at that time? If anyone would would say that to you? I would have loved to have heard that. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard that. And I would like to say that that would have been healing and I would have, I would have welcomed that. That's the, I, but I don't know if I would have believed that. I would have, I would have liked to have heard that. So what is the first thing that you do in the morning and the last thing that you do in the evening? The first thing that I do in the morning is, um, do you know what? It's about mindset. So I mm-hmm. do, I do listen to some something motivational, something mm-hmm. inspiring. Good advice, yes. Not every morning, because some mornings I just want to sit there in silence. <laughs> I do, honestly, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I you know, recently, like I said before, I was, I've been waking up really, really early. So I, I would always come downstairs, put some candles on. Um, my dog's not very happy with me because I always wake him up. Um, but, but he would just, he'll go back to sleep. But yeah, I just, sometimes I just want to be alone with my, alone with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not my thoughts to run away with me, but just to go, just to kind of reassure myself. Um, so that's what I do in the morning. Um, and then obviously with a cup of tea. Um, and then the last thing at night, I'll be honest with you. I end up watching Netflix. That's what I do. <laughs> And I lay on my sofa and I watch Netflix. <laughs> but do you take your phone with you before you go to bed? Because they say yeah. that it, it's, it's the worst thing that you can do is take your phone with you in the dark. Yes. I mean, we all do that, but <laughs> I do. I do. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't, but you know what? In my defense, in my defense, I listen to a few podcasts. I li- or, or I listen, do you know what? Sometimes if I can't sleep, I listen to rain music. That really helps mm-hmm. me. So I listen to the rain and the only thing that, I mean, the only thing that I've got is my phone and I put my earphones in and yeah. So what yes, I do take my phone to bed and no, it's not good. And I don't advise that you will do that. But for me, sometimes I just, do you know what it is? It's, 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 um, for me, it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we all have our vices, you know, <laughs> and do you know what else I do? So this is just between me and you and everyone else who's listening. So when I watch Netflix, <laughs> because I've got, because, you know, sometimes when you, when you're working, sometimes I work you know, later into the evening. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I, 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 I do take time off during the day. So I'm not working like, you know, 12 hours straight. So sometimes, you know, because clients, you have to accommodate because sometimes clients mm-hmm. can't do during the day because they're at work anyway. So um, I have to watch something really frightening to stop me from overthinking about, you know, sometimes with clients or what the next YouTube video I'm going to be filming. It's because when I watch scary films, like mm-hmm. horrors, 
or thrillers or psychological thrillers, it helps me to focus what's on the actual, what's going on in the film. But if I watch a comedy or something else or a drama, I just tend to switch off and then I do go on my phone. Yeah, I know how much. That's interesting. And also, I mean, I didn't think of this question until now, but how do you separate your job from your personal life because you talk to so many people who have you know many issues um and how do you kind of um unwind or you know log off yeah after a very difficult day um so what i tend to do i i have to for me if i if i have had a really difficult client or i've had or i've had a lot of tough clients or or tough things that have been going on stressful things that have been going on during the day i always try to change my scenery my environment because i work from home and many of you also you know people will be working from home now as well mm. for me it's very important it's all about environment so to change your scenery so i would literally take the dog and we will, we will just go out. We'll go out for a long walk into the woods. Um, and that's how I unwind. I recharge in nature. So it's trees, the grass is just, it's nature. That's how, that's how I unwind. Even if it is now, obviously getting darker, I will still, I will still go out. Um, it's just changing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My environment that that's what I do. It's healing um, to be in nature. That's, I mean, that's great advice for anyone who wants to just so healing. Lock, yeah, um, anxiety, uh, trauma. I'm, I'm such a big advocate of nature therapy and ecotherapy. It is, it really, it really does help. It really does heal. It also calms, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It calms you inside. You know, for example, when you look at, you know, trees, the color green is very relaxing on the eye. It's crazy, but yeah, yeah it, it really yeah. is. I mean, I used to deny that all the time when my mom would be like, you know, go outside. And I'm like, no, like, you know, when I'm angry or depressed or anything, um, and you just, it's so appealing to stay in your room as a teenager, sure. just in your apartment or yes. stay inside and kind of hide yourself and be in yes. your feelings. But you, like, you should do the, the, the opposite of that and you should go outside. Yes. Even when you don't want to, even when you don't want to, because nature is medicine and it's mm-hmm. free. It, it's free. I mean, have you ever hugged a tree? <laughs> Good question. I think I have, but a long time ago, probably yeah, not. Yeah, so <laughs> do it. It's, oh, it's really nice. Like you rest your forehead on the tree and then you just, and you hug it. Yeah. Wow. You know what? I'm, I'm going to try that. <laughs> Please do. Please do. And anyone else who's listening as well, please do it. It's so, it's so nice. So lovely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing all the knowledge that you've accumulated. You're very, Uh, very welcome. And maybe, you know, talk to you soon. Who knows? Maybe we can do, you know, a part two or. No problem at all. No problem at all. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I'd love to talk to you again. I likewise have really enjoyed talking with you. Um, It's been been so nice. Yes, no, absolutely. It's been so lovely to connect with you and talk with you. And I hope that your listeners do get some value from what we have talked about. I'm sure they will. um, Because it's nice just to, even if, even um, just to listen and just maybe prompt some ideas, something that they may have already known. So absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and having me on your show. 